Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm joined as always by Phil Kittramelides and also former Denmark goalkeeper Thomas Sorensen. Well, now, let's start with this. In the French Cup this weekend, Martinique's side Golden Lion made a 8,600-mile round trip only to be beaten 12-0 by Lille, which got me wondering, what is the furthest you've travelled for something to go horribly wrong? Come on, Phil, give us one. <laughs> hey, Phil, you have to start on this one. Okay, I'm going to start. Obviously, I do not have a former glittering former football career to uh, to talk about, so I'll leave that guy that to you. So, I was thinking about this, and <clears throat> while I was in my uh, my late twenties, I was having a uh, I was having a long distance relationship with a girl in uh, in South America, right? So, what I said to her once was, "Okay, we'll go on holiday, and I'll meet you. I'll meet you in Miami, right?" And she was like, "Yeah, great. We'll meet in Miami. We're gonna have a nice little holiday." Booked a lovely hotel in Miami romantic suite romantic hotel i think it's gonna be great i get there the day before and she sends me a message literally that day saying i've lost my passport i'm like what uh i lost my passport i can't travel i was like oh okay so i'm stuck in this romantic suite in a couple's hotel on my own for a week because she could not come and join me because she had misplaced her passport. The relationship did not last uh, much after that, I have to say. But yeah, it was um, it was literally the longest I've gone, the furthest I've gone for something to go horribly wrong because it went horribly wrong, Shortsu. What Was it legit though? Did you find out if it was legit or not that she genuinely lost her passport or was this she the whole She genuinely stuff? lost her passport. I don't think, no, no, no. She had genuinely lost her passport and left me on my own in the most awkward situation. I mean, it was like, it could have been like a romantic comedy because then if it was a film, I would have met someone there by the pool and we would have reconnected and I would have had a relationship with them. But that did not happen. I was just on my own all day, every day, um, (laughs) surrounded by couples in this hotel in Miami. And then I went home. So yeah. (laughs) Go on, Thomas, what have you got? (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll take us to South America as well. Um, You know, back in in the football world, uh, in in 1996, um, during January, we uh, went with the under-21 national team to South America. You know, it was a great time of the year. It was freezing cold. We've been training on uh, rock-hard pitches. So we thought, okay, a bit of sunshine down south. Uh, We were playing a tournament in Chile, and then we were going to play Argentina first uh, when we landed. Uh, What we didn't know when we landed was that we were playing there under 23 uh, Olympic side uh, in front of 50,000 uh, <laughs> two days after we landed. And, and it was a team with uh, Diego Simone, Ayala, Javier Sanetti, <laughs> Juan Moron. Uh, and, and we got absolutely trashed. Uh, wow. I, you know, I, I'm sure we would have felt exactly the same as the Golden Lions sitting in that dressing room after the game <laughs> because we were, we were just torn apart. Um, uh, and, and that, uh, you know, romantic trip that we were going to have was destroyed like yours, Phil. So uh, that was a, that was a wake up, and and they ended yeah. up. Uh, I think got they got silver. I think at the Olympics. So, so we had a bit of an excuse. 
Uh, not not really, but yeah, go on. Uh, this makes you feel better <laughs> all these years later. Okay, then. All I mean, right, my one okay. actually okay, is, it. Yeah, my one was 2001, which is quite a well-known one, I think, was we had to play, again, South America. What is it with South America? Uh, played Uruguay. We went actually, um, for, for whatever reason, well, generally speaking, you normally do it. So you go into a country a little bit earlier, you prep, you know, a bit more than two days before. I think we, we, we got there about four days before the game and we we're prepping uh, it was the second leg of a two-legged event. We lost. Uh, we drew. Sorry, won the first game one nil in, in Melbourne, and then we had this return leg. We got there about four days early, and that's when the shenanigans started. The minute we arrived at the airport, first they didn't let us off, let us off the plane for about an hour. Then we were standing in the uh, baggage reclaim for about two hours, and then as we went out of that, we got spat at, punches thrown at us. Um, and then got on the plane, on the bus towards the hotel. We had a police escort, sirens going and everything else. And the whole way to the hotel, because the sirens were all blasting, right, blaring down the street, people were running from every quarter, every little corner of the whole country. People were running out of buildings, on roofs of buildings, running up from the beach. I saw granddads with their grandchildren all of a sudden letting go of their hand and running up to the bus showing us they're putting their hands between their legs and showing there's a corners bending over showing us their backsides two guys running together one bouncing as a kangaroo the other guy behind him acting as if he was um you know maybe uh, a little bit too close to the kangaroo from behind um <laughs> to honestly to to then we had training the bus didn't turn up all that sort of stuff to the, obviously the australian government getting involved and then the match the day of the match was uh we're lining up to go down the tunnel and obviously they're supposed to send you obviously the, the quickest best way they sent us underground this tunnel all the way around the perimeter of the stadium the longest possible way you could go and the tunnel was it had a wire that went with a light bulb to the ceiling and then another one and then another one it was just like literally in a in a tunnel like a i don't know a mining i can imagine what a mining tunnel would be and we went all the way around the whole stadium and finally got there and then you come up in the middle of the ground and the crowd's just going crazy it was packed it was like they were built they were breaking up bits of the stadium throwing it on the pitch all sorts of stuff we lost 3-0 anyway it wasn't <laughs> great <laughs> Great for the GPS stats, though. Uh, the stats people. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. Uh, have you got Have you got the furthest you've ever travelled, Thomas? What What's the f the longest distance you've ever travelled for a game? Is that Is that that same one? Uh, no, I, I think you know we we did uh, play a tournament in Australia actually against uh, the Olyroos, uh and South Korea. I think so. Uh, so that that from Denmark would have been uh, the longest. Uh, but that, yeah, again, that, not not in the not in the senior side. Um, yeah, that was like Korea for the World Cup. But but uh, in the under twenty ones, we we did go to Australia uh, for the two thousand and ten World Cup. So it was the first time we joined the Asian Confederation. Our very first game was was a game in Melbourne um, against Qatar, and it was a Wednesday night. So it was the time when they FIFA came up with this brainstorming idea to play FIFA dates middle of the week. And obviously that suits European teams, but doesn't suit teams from South American or Asian confederations, right? Particularly if players are playing in Europe. Mm. And even even that, the distances you need to travel. So we played on a Sunday night up in um, in Newcastle. I was playing, uh, at the time I was playing for, for, for Fulham. And I got on a plane, flew straight from there, and I ended up getting on a plane, a flight out of, out of England on that evening. I arrived on the Tuesday morning and trained in the afternoon, 
played Wednesday evening, got on, got on a plane Thursday morning, arrived back Friday morning in, in England, in London, and then trained and played on the Saturday and then crashed and burned for about four or five days after that. Oof. So, yeah, we, we won 3-0, though. That was, the, uh, that, was the only, that was the best thing about it. Oh, wow. How did your body physically feel after that? Because yeah. I, like, the times I've the times I've done it, I, when I get off a plane, like my my legs are like jelly. You know, my my head is all over the it, place. I, I need a couple it, of days to 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 get on the pitch. It's hard. It definitely is really difficult. The biggest challenge for me and the way I overcame it was just through mental mental approach. It was like, right, I'm going yeah, to yeah, be okay. fine. I'm going to get through this. The lights at the end of the tunnel. The manager was always like, right, you you know, play this game, then I'll give you two, three days off. So it was like, I need to get through it. I can do it. And it was a mental strength battle. I slept whenever <laughs> I could. And then you wake up, you feel terrible. But it was like, nah, I'm going to be fine and I'll get through it. And physically, I got through it and mentally. And obviously, as a goalkeeper, it's, it's a lot easier. It's almost to do it, as you know, like rather than doing all the mileage that those guys do. But our mental, yeah. our, our, the mental side of things was probably the biggest challenge was staying focused, staying ready. Um, and, and getting through the game without making any mistakes, which 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 I did, which was great. Uh, you're, a, you're a lot tougher than me, Schwartz. I'm just back from a week in the Caribbean, and I'm you know <laughs> I've been sitting on the beach all, all week, and I've come back here, and I'm still really jet lagged and tired. So yeah, but it's definitely different a lot stronger than me. <laughs> I don't know about you, Thomas. For me now, it's different now because I don't do it for my job. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm like normal. Like, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I don't sleep properly. When you're playing. <laughs> we, we, we get ah, soft. Okay. We get soft. You get Absolutely. soft, right. Okay. You yeah, become normal you're, because you're yeah, like superhuman. Yeah. When you're playing though, there's a schedule, right? You arrive, you know, you've got training. I need to be ready yeah. for training. Your life just revolves around being yeah. ready for training and playing games. So yeah. when you're on holidays, when you're doing something with your family or you're going by, you, that doesn't, it's right, I'll yeah. fit it in, whatever, however it works, it'll be fine. If I need to sleep you're, in the afternoon, You're I'll a sleep. nice guy, Schwartz, you're making me feel better. I appreciate that. Thank I you. I know, thank you, you mate. Yeah. Yeah. It won't last long, don't worry. Anyway, <laughs> let's get on to Sam Kerr. Obviously, the bad news is that she's been ruled out uh, for, well, at least to the end of the season with an ACL injury. I believe it's a third injury that she sustained throughout her career. Chelsea released a statement yesterday, and this is how it reads. Chelsea Football Club can confirm striker Sam Kerr has sustained an anterior cruciate ligament injury during our warm weather training camp in Morocco. Sam will be assessed by a specialist in the coming days and then begin her rehabilitation with the club's medical team. Wow. Um, firstly, Thomas, have you ever had an ACL? No, I've, I've been fortunate. I had a, a couple of dislocated elbows, uh, you know, a, a, a broken leg at one point, you know, we, we know broken fingers and, and, and all that, but, you know, luckily I never had that. Uh, but I've seen so many players at, at my time at different clubs go through the, the rehab in, in, you know, in the gyms, uh, you know, the, the long six, eight months uh, on the sidelines, you know, just being in that mental vacuum where nobody really bothers and cares about you because life goes on and, and you, but you just got to crack on and keep the motivation, you know, so, you know, you got to feel for her because of also what happened at the World Cup, um, you know, and, and now this was supposed to be her year with the Olympics, you know, gunning for that you know, uh, player of the year, um, uh, you know, so it's, it's sad. I really feel for, uh, feel also for the, for the Matildas. You, you mentioned it was the third ACL that she suffered for. So I, I just, is, is this, 
How does a player react to having the same injury, serious injury, three times? Is it in some way she knows what to expect, she knows how to come back from it, and she can come back from it if if not stronger, but she knows what the process is? Or is it just mentally like, oh my goodness, I've got this again. Uh, this is just like, so mentally, will she be able to bounce back from it or will it be even harder because she's had it twice before? I've seen players, I've had teammates who have had an ACL come back and within a very short period of time do the other knee and have another mm. ACL. Mm. So the initial injury uh, incident obviously is devastating to people. And, but I think then, then there's, a, there's a point where that I know exactly the process. So I think, well, there's a point of, I know the process and, oh my God, I don't want to go through it again and, and what a long uphill battle that's going to be. But then there's a case of, I mean, then I think once you get over that bit is, right, I know now, I know what I need to do. Nothing's going to be new to me. And so I, uh, there's pros and cons, of course. And I, and I think that's, that's the, the, the biggest issue, isn't it? I mean, I, I think the fact that you've had, now she's had three. Scar tissue is always an injury. But I think today with the way that me, uh, medical science is, I think she'll be fine. And I think just going on what Thomas, you said there, you kind of got, get forgetting, I, got forgotten. I think you actually feel like you're forgotten because I've been in, injured for like three months and um, been out and you're, you're, and you get the feeling you're forgotten because the manager and all the coaching staff's full focus is on that team, getting that team mm -hmm. ready for the weekend's game. So there, you're not, you haven't got that daily contact with the people that matter. Let's be honest. Like the people that are really important, the people that make those big decisions, but of course you're not going to because you're not fit to. So the most important person that you have is whoever's assigned to looking after you through rehabilitation. And that's also the change mentality. I had that when I broke my back, I ended up being assigned, of course you got the head of medical, but one of the, 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 the fitness guys who then would oversee my, my whole fitness regime, my whole general back into back into to training process and he became literally my shadow and my my kind of like i don't know my buddy throughout my whole process and helped me a lot because he was the one that motivated me at times when you felt down when you felt tired and i think that's really important but i also think i think also you you, you once you get over that and once you see the gains once you see the rehabilitation working you see where you're going you start to build in confidence you start to feel more part of it what i want to ask you phil is that do you feel that, I mean, there's a whole lot of issues and there's a lot of debate around women's football and about women's injuries more in, more importantly and, and the difference between men and women. And, but in, as a whole, is it also the case of how many games of football we're playing? How many games players are expected to play? And then are they talking about potentially even more games coming up? It's, it's something that, yeah, we're talking about both in the, the men and the women's game. I mean, the... There is a conversation I think that needs to be had about the number of ACLs that's, that are you know, being done in the, in, in the women's game. And we were talking about Sam Kerr, this her third, uh, probably, you know, the most, some of the most high profile because she's one of the best players in the world. But, you know, this is happening to, to a lot of other players consistent, consistently. And I'm, you know, I'm not a, uh, not a physio, I, I have no medical background. I don't know why this is happening. But if something does happen consistently like that, I think it does need to be looked into. And obviously, we've spoken about this before, the number of games. The more you play, the more you train, the more you travel, the more stress you put on your body, the more likely it is you are to, to have these, uh, these serious injuries. But yeah, there is something almost specific about what is going on with this very, very serious type of injury in the women's game that seems to be happening more and more often.
But yeah, I mean, just sort of thinking about how this is going to affect, you know, the Matildas who now need to qualify for and probably play in the Olympics without her. I mean, this is this is huge, right? We're talking about one of the best players in the world who's not going to be there. This is it's going to have a big impact, isn't it? I think so. I, I look. I think it's not, and it's it's huge, right? Of course, it is. It's massive. Yeah. But the one bright note in all of this is that at the Women's World Cup, Australia showed without yeah. Sam Kerr that they also could compete at the highest level and do really, really well. So they've kind of been through it um, to a degree already, you know, missing missing her for what the opening four games um, of the tournament. And uh, they, they, they found a system, they found the combination and they made it work. So losing the best player, one of the best players on the planet is a big, big loss to any team, regardless of who it is, her goals, her quality, her leadership qualities, uh, her experience is enormous. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit more confident with the fact that they've done it at the World Cup. They've done it at a home World Cup where the pressure is absolutely enormous and they've shown, and I think there's a self-belief in that group that they also can cope without one of the best players in the world in their team. And Mark, I would even argue now that I think, I think the Matildas are in a better place uh, as a group than they were before and during the World Cup. But you, you know, there's more players that's gone into the WSL. Uh, you know, Cooney Cross uh, is obviously doing really well. Uh, a couple of others have, have joined this week. Uh, so, so I think as a squad, uh, I agree with you. They, they've, they've taken a lot or would have taken a lot from the World Cup. And yes, it might hinder their chances of, of being a true contender to winning the Olympics. But I, I still think, you know, they're, they're definitely a team that will go far if they qualify. Okay, yeah, but what about, the impact then on, what about the impact then on Chelsea? Who okay, Okay, I can give you a spoiler alert here. It's going to cost Chelsea the title uh, because I think for, for Chelsea uh, and in that league, Sam Kerr is the difference. Uh, and I think Arsenal is a better team uh, compared to Chelsea without Sam Kerr, so so yeah. as simple as that. I think I yeah. think you know Emma Hayes is, is, is sadly I don't think is going to get that uh, perfect Chelsea send off that uh, she's hoping for, um, but we'll see. But I think uh, Arsenal is going to win the title. Now. Well, I said it even before Sam Kerr was injured. I felt that Arsenal were the team that were probably going to win the WSL this year. So I think that's for me again. I'm I'm, I'm slightly even more in favour of the fact that I think Arsenal will number of reasons i agree thomas i think player for player i think they're a better squad um they've got more options in more positions um they've got some massive names the only the only question mark is they've got some big big players like beth mead Miedemar, who have come back leah williamson who have come back from major acl injuries as well um but they're starting to find their form and also they're not playing in the champions league so they've got no other distractions other than playing in the wsl um, one thing is having that. Next thing is going to actually perform, and, and that's something that they need to to still to still show that they can do. Um, the other the other question is though. So, with the number of ACL injuries in the women's game, is is it going to take? Is is this? And the the, the issue is serious, right? So, how are they going to address it? Yeah, you know, I, you know, from all the studies that that has been done, and I, and I think that's one of the the issues is that. You know, the women's football is still evolving. Uh, you know, there's still money being put into it and, and, and a lot more needs to be put into it. And, uh, 
and, and there's obviously a phys physi physiological thing, you know, with women's build and uh, and their pelvic and 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 how that affects the knees and the stability. Um, but but also there's equipment. Uh, you, you might need you know different kind of boots because let's let's be honest, the, the the game is is made for for men because that's how it's been been going on and. And 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 all these things um, needs to be looked into, and and it seems to be not an easy solution. There seems to be a lot of components to to this issue. It's not just let's fix one or two things uh, and then we have solved it. Um, so I, I sadly think is it's something training methods, everything else needs to be looked at, and uh, you know just try to improve the the statistics, the statistics on it. I think part of it as well is the professionalism of the game. So the growth of the game, the, the evolution of the game has been so quick um, in over a short period of time that the players um, have been kind of thrust into this level of professionalism that they a lot of them haven't had for throughout their whole lives, their whole careers. So one of the, one of the things I've talked about certainly with, with regards to injuries in, in, in both men and women's game is that the men – um, from a very young age are in this professional environment are coached so many thousands of hours per day from a very young age all the way through to being professional athletes to the women playing catch up in every aspect of the game so I, I can only feel and think that that logically would have a greater effect on 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 women's women players playing in the in the game the fact that they're trying to play catch up they've exposed to such a rigorous training regimes and and playing regimes that that is going to take its toll on players more so than in the men's game and i think that's pretty obvious at this moment in time next let's move on to Socceroos asian cup um obviously it's literally around the corner and it's going to be a big tournament. There's some big, big players in it. Firstly, I, I just want to ask, who, who do, do any, any of you feel who's Australia's biggest threat to this World Cup? Uh, this, sorry, this Asian Cup. Thomas, have you got uh, have you got someone who, who you feel? Yeah, is... no, I think it's the usual. I think Japan for me. You know, when when you look at their squad, uh, you know, you're going to be in Amino, Tomayasu, Endo. Uh, you got Kubo who plays down in Spain for Ruhashi. I think they've got so much quality, uh, and and we saw what what. The, the women did uh, at the at the at the World Cup in Australia, and I think the the, the way Japanese football is evolving, uh, I, I think for me they're the favourites. But you know Qatar, Saudi Arabia under Roberto Mancini, uh, they've all prepared meticulously for this one. South Korea with you know Son Hong Min, uh, you know so there, there's a lot, there's a fair few teams I think that it can uh, it's up for grabs I think, and Australia is right in that mix. I think, see, I think when you look at that squad, when you look at, sorry, the, the Asian Cup, you look at Japan, they are the standout squad of players by, mm. by quite a long way. Um, I, was, I was reading through it yesterday and actually I was, I was, I surprised myself actually. I was surprised <laughs> how good a team they are, how many mm. big name players yeah, yeah. and players are playing throughout the world. I, I, I actually sat back a bit and went, how did I not think, like I, I couldn't believe how many players are playing at top clubs. And Phil, this is obviously your expertise. Kubo, how good is he at Real Sociedad? Kubo is 
an extraordinarily talented player and he's one that's really progressed over the last uh, year and a half at, at Real Sociedad. It was the perfect move for him and we've seen him take him uh, a level up now. And, and this year we've seen him you know, produce performances in the Champions League. Uh, it's not just him playing well in La Liga week in, week out. It's him taking a step up and really dominating Champions League games against uh, good sides, helping Real Sociedad finish top of their Champions League group ahead of uh, Inter Milan and, and Benfica. So he's a, he's a terrifically talented player. And this Japan side are the favourites. Like, I think it, it is quite an open Asian Cup, um, but I think Japan are the favourites. And Thomas, I mean, you, you mentioned them afterwards, but I would say South Korea as well. If you look at sort of the starting eleven and the terms of the quality, I think Japan obviously have got the best squad. If you look at the starting eleven that, that that South Korea can put out and the uh, the momentum that they have from the uh, from the qualifiers that they've been playing in, they've been scoring loads of goals, they've been winning matches, and the individual talents uh, of Sun Hong Min, Lee Kang In is a player who I saw a lot in in, in Spain and has now gone to uh, PSG. Uh, but obviously, it's it's not just those two. Um, they've got you know, Premier League stars uh, Kim at, at, at Bayern. I mean, I mean, it's 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 a it's a terrific team. Um, that can cause Japan problems, I think, Japan being the favourites. But, I mean, if you look at Schwartz, you were looking at that Japan squad. And then if you look at the Australia squad, how do you feel? What does that make you feel? Do you feel like, oh, my goodness, we are way, way behind these guys? Yeah, a bit like at the World Cup. Not, not as big, because obviously the World Cup, I, I, I felt that, and I'll hold my hand up, I felt that Australia would struggle to get out of the group. And I think mm. a lot of people felt the same way. But what they did, and I said it then, and I'll keep saying it, they were Australian. This that Australia group that went to the World Cup in Qatar were mm. probably our weakest, man for man, player for player, but were the best team we've ever sent to a World Cup, and that kind of like it mixes in well because because individually I didn't think they were one of our weakest, but collectively as a team they turned out to be because of the level of players, they turned out to be such a really good team and, and performed mm. unbelievably well. And obviously the, the, the difference is not that great now in the Asian Cup because I still think we are one of the, the, the top four, you know, three, four teams in, in the tournament. Um, but if I look at, like you meant, we, we were talking about there, Japan, South Korea in particular, where quite a few notches down on those in, in terms of player quality, player for player. But as history has shown us at the World Cup, that can mean nothing really unless if, if you don't have the right team. And that's something that Graham Arnold has done incredibly well with the Socceroos since he's been in charge, um, create a very, very good team. So I'm I'm kind of, I, I don't know, I, I feel a bit, I, I feel like I'm, we're going into this tournament with the expectation to do really, really well with the chance of winning it, not the favourites, but that doesn't matter. I still feel that we are more than capable of winning the Asian Cup um, because of that togetherness, because of that squad. Yeah, but you, you got to say for the Socceroos, it, it should be uh, not a breeze, but it, it should be a formality to get to the quarterfinals. And then from then on, you, you're going to run into teams where, you know, you, you'll need a bit of luck and you, you'll need to perform on the day. Um, but I agree with you, Schwartz. I, I think, you know, we're going to talk about Girona uh, a little bit later. But but yes. again, you know, some, some sometimes, you know, it's not about star players. It's about the, the team mm. spirit and it's about, you know, having a game plan and, and sticking to it. And I, and I think there's enough quality there. They might be lacking up front. I think Mitch Duke, it might be, you know, Silvera as well um, has, has come in. Um, 
you know, my good friend Bruno Fornaroli, uh, 36, uh, he's banging the goals in in the A-League. Uh, you know, can he do something? So it'd be interesting to see if they can actually, you know, uh, produce enough goals, I think, to, um, you know, to, um, to, to actually get to the final. And then Matty Ryan, I think, is a big question mark. Is he fit? I don't know what you know, uh, Swartzy. Yeah, well, you know, playing with a, uh, a fractured cheekbone, I've done that before. Mine was different to his. Mine was more on the side. His is obviously further around the middle of his, uh, sort of like to the, I think it's his left side of his cheek in the middle. So my understanding when I had mine uh, done was that the surgeon was very much like, ah, oh, this is fine. You know, literally like a shoehorn. He'll, he'll cut a hole in the side of my head, put a, sh like, it's like a shoehorn kind of uh, instrument. Um, and that's how he'd use it to to push out the bone again because it was kind of indented into my head. Whereas Maddie was a bit different; it's a little bit different structure in that area. And the danger is anything could splinter off and go into your eye. So I played ten days after I fractured my my um, cheekbone. And that was pretty graphic. Played, man. That was a pretty graphic. <laughs> I know. I know. It, it's funny because at the time you're kind of like looking at you and you can feel it. It's in a, it's literally like yeah, no more, no more. Don't go into, don't get to more depth. Piece of timber, you know, and it's broken and it's <laughs> dented in. And then you look at it and you feel it and you just go, oh, that feels so bad and so wrong. And then you have the surgery and he explains how he's doing it, and it's just like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you come out and it's all like it's all brand new again. And he goes, right, just don't hit it um, because it will just pop back in again. Um, so yeah. I played, and the reason I played 10 days later was because it was UEFA Cup final with Middlesbrough against uh, Se Sevilla back in, uh, you know, 2006. And that's, you know, had it not been such a big game, I probably wouldn't have played so quickly afterwards, but I wore a mask. So I envisaged that Matty Ryan will wear a mask, whether he's fit to play in the first game or not. We'll have to wait and see. But we saw pictures of him uh, fully stripped and kicking a ball around actually with some kids after the game against Bahrain. So I don't know. I I, I I get a feeling that if he's not going to play the first game, you'll be there probably for the second game. Does this not feel like quite an important tournament for Australia and Australian football and the growth of the game in the country coming off the back of the World Cup where expectations were exceeded, excitement was created, um, a love of the football was 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 generated? And then the Women's World Cup, which just continued all that. And now we've got this another major tournament um, off the back of people who might not have known too much about football the last time that the Asian Cup was, was played. You know, you, you've got a new audience in there. I don't know. This feels like this feels like a, a, an actual significant tournament for Australia, uh, both on and off the pitch. And it it would be... I think it would be a waste if it was just sort of dismissed as a bit of a, like a transition tournament because there is such a big turnaround in terms of the squad. Um, that was it only 14 players from the World Cup who are in that squad. There's a lot of new faces in there. And to suggest that, oh, OK, well, there's new faces. We'll see how we go. This feels like it's a chance for Australia to try and build on what was achieved in the World Cup and, and grow the game further. Yeah, well, let's let's hope so. I think... Uh... I think the, the you know that's why I feel that Australia needs to go you know as we expect far into the tournament because there's also a time difference I think that's gonna you know not potentially make the games prime time um, and and you know that's why uh, you know I think you need to create and the team needs to create some excitement to to really get people hooked uh, but yeah it'll, it'll be another stepping stone if 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 you can make it successful for sure uh, you know because. 
on the back of the Women's World Cup, the, the A-League hasn't quite kicked off, uh, hasn't maybe gained the, 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 the right sort of momentum after the Women's World Cup. So I think that's why the Socceroos are so important. Yeah, look, I think, I think when, when you talk about the men's game and the women's game, I think there's a, there, is, there are crossovers of fans, mm-hmm. but it's not as big as probably one would think. I think there's a very different type of crowd that go to or sort of porter that goes to a women's game that does go to the men and more often than not don't cross over. So there is a very different audience um, to a large degree. I think, like Thomas is saying, you know, this, this is a big Asian cup for Australia because of the success that uh, they had at the World Cup. And there's going to be an enormous amount of expectation for Australia to do really, really well at this Asian Cup, if not win it, because of that success of the World Cup. In Australia, we have a lot of sporting success. And in sports, generally, that are dominated by more than a handful of countries around the world, but we still have a lot of success, right? So there is a huge amount of expectation to to win things. And there's almost a case of, I think, for, for some people, not all, but for some people, we're thinking, well, we did so well at the, at the World Cup. We only got knocked out by Argentina only just, and they went on to win it, and that was messy and so forth. Now the Asian Cup, we should win this. You mm. know, we should win this quite comfortably. That's as we we all, I mean, I certainly have experienced it. It's not, it's not the case, right? It, it's not a foregone conclusion. 2007 was a really interesting one. We talked earlier on about teams and about how good your team needs to be, how good a squad can be. Like Japan is an amazing squad. How good a team they're going to be, let's wait and see. We had a really, really good squad of players in 2007 at the Asian Cup, which was in Thailand, Vietnam, and Indonesia. And we got knocked out in the quarterfinals. We only just got out of our group. We had a disaster. We finished second in our group. um, And therefore, we had to play Japan in the quarterfinals and then got knocked out on penalties. And I'll go so far as saying we're one one of our strongest individual players that went to an Asian Cup but one of our weakest teams that we ever had. Graham Arnold was the manager at the time. So it was his first experience as manager of the national team. So he'll only, he'll know too well what that was like. Um, and uh, so there's no, there's no given that you're going to perform well just because you've got a top group of players. Um, hmm. We'll have to wait and see, watch this space. Um, hmm. Overall, I suppose when you look at the Australia squad, Thomas, are there any players that stick out for you as a, maybe a surprise or, or someone that you think maybe will do well at the Asian Cup? Yeah, no, I think Graham Arnold's been very good at uh, sort of uh, stealing players from other countries. And I think uh, Gethin Jones, I think he's, he's snapped up from the Welsh. Uh, you know, he's been given a, a nod and, and did play against Bahrain uh, at right back. So, so that's one to, to, to watch and see how he goes on. And uh, then uh, there's John Ardale from, uh, from the second Bundesliga. He scored against St. Pauli uh, last week. So, you know, a, a young player that can play in that sort of nine, that's a 10, 10 role. Um, and, a, you know, uh, exciting player to, to, to watch. Uh, I think he's 24, so he's relatively young. Uh, but there is uh, obviously new players come in because there's so many injuries. And, and uh, you know, Matthew Leckie, you know, Mabil, Brandon Borello. Uh, uh, you know, it's just happy to see that he's also picked people on form. Bruno Fornaroli, who's a good mate of mine that I played with uh, at Melbourne City back in the day. And and he's he's had a great, great start to the season. And uh, and he's in there. So so there's a good mix of experience uh, and, and some new faces. And it's going to be interesting to to see if they can get it to gel. Yeah, John Day is an interesting one. I've seen some footage. I've watched quite a few of his footage of, of his games for Vian Wiesbaden in the Bundesliga too. And yeah, big, strong, uh, pretty quick. 
he scored some proper, like, like I don't know, like old school sort of forwards goals, you know, through just sheer determination. Um, and we know going like at the World Cup, Mitchell Duke did really, really well for Australia. But it is an area where we need strengthening. We need better quality, hopefully, coming through. And uh, so we need that to happen. Sam Silvera has done really, really well at Middlesbrough this year as well. So I'm also, I don't know, maybe a little bit surprised that he's played so much and so big a part uh, in Middlesbrough's uh, season so far. So I think, and he can play as a number nine or can play uh, slightly wider as well. So I I think the good thing about this is um, this Asian Cup, I think uh, Arnie's got a few options now to to look at and I'm that's what I'm excited about seeing. Guys, I've got a question for both of you which is um obviously um the right time to ask it with the Asian Cup also got Afcon happening as well. How tough is it as a player being thrown into a major tournament like a really serious important tournament for your country in the middle of a domestic season? Like can you just switch uh, mindsets uh, physically how tough is it like from an outsider's perspective it feels like something really quite difficult to do. 2011, we played uh, mid-season. So we joined the Asian Confederation in 2006, seven. So like seven was official. And then that first uh, Asian Cup was in the off-season for the season. And then the next one, which was 2011, was played in the Middle East. So it was played in the in the January period of time. And obviously, we're going to see that again this time around. Um, it's different. It's, I don't know. I think you feel, for me, I felt, better going into the tournament because you're in a flow. You've played a lot of league games. You come into an Asian Cup and then you kind of like, you have a week to prepare and off you go. And I liked that element of it. It was, it's like any major tournament. It's draining. It's physically draining, mentally draining. We got all the way to the final and we lost and disappointed Mm. we lost because we didn't feel like we should have lost. We should have won, should have, could have, didn't. We didn't take our chances and we lost the game 1-0 afterwards and that's the biggest challenge so when you have a world cup or an asian cup in the summer you have you always get given a week two weeks two and a half weeks off extra um so you you have time to basically come down to to literally hit rock bottom in terms of your mental fatigue and your physical fatigue and then you have time to build yourself back up again until you come back to the start of pre-season and then you got pre-season to get through a lot of that as well because sometimes you still turn up quite drained. I, I certainly felt this way. 2011, I went from the final to literally four days later playing a, a Premier League game for Fulham midweek. <laughs> so it was tough. And I actually got ill afterwards. Um, and, uh, and I ended up being ill for about a month. And I, I, I got through it, but uh, I had pleurisy. So uh, afterwards, and um, which What's finally that? was, well, it's, uh, it's fluid on the, on the lung. So, yeah, it becomes basically, it started off like a back, a backache, um, sort of in the middle of my back. And we, we traveled to Portugal in a, in a, we had a, we had a, I don't know, we had a, I think it was FA Cup weekend. I think we'd been knocked out. So there was a free weekend. So we had basically four or five days in, in Portugal. And, and when we, when we flew back, that's when it happened that I felt this pain in my back and it got quite bad. And then the 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 doctors said all right i basically i was struggling to lie down on my back i was struggling to sleep i had to sleep up sitting upwards and they kept saying that's no, just a back issue it's a back issue and finally after about a week of this my wife just went i've had enough of this if you don't go in there and tell them that you <laughs> they need to sort this out i will because she wasn't sleeping i wasn't sleeping it was a nightmare 
So I went there and look, I'm not training. You need to take me, I need to get this checked and sorted out once and for all, because this is not what you're saying it is. So I went and got it scanned and everything else. And the, and the doc went, right, you need to go straight away and get a CAT scan, straight from there, the CAT scan. And he, he said, what have you been doing? Where have you been? I got back on a plane literally two days ago. Right, you need to get a CAT scan right away. So I went and had the ink injected in. You go to get a CAT scan and they went, oh, because they were worried about blood clotting. And then they went, oh, you've got fluid. I had like about 10 <laughs> centimeters of fluid on my, on my lung. They gave me medication. So I was dealing with this for about a month. They gave me medication. I mean, this sounds incredibly two- serious. Uh, you got yeah. like seriously ill after playing in, 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 I was playing. in the tournament. I, was pl- I played the whole way through it. It was crazy because I struggled. I couldn't lie, lie down on my back. I get onto the medical bed to have a massage. You were still playing? Yeah, I played. Yeah, yeah, I played. I, I was oh able God, to play. You're even tougher to than dive. I thought, Schwartzy. This is unbelievable. I, it was crazy. I was able to dive around. I was able to do training. And Just all that, sleep. And, it, and it wasn't an issue. The minute I lay down, lay down on my back, I couldn't breathe. Oh I was goodness. literally, <gasps> I could not breathe. I had to sit up. I had to get up. And I, and I struggled to get up. I had to roll over on my side and get up. But it was funny. It didn't affect me playing. And I felt it, but it wasn't something that I went, oh, that, I can't do this. So wow. I went on the medication. Within two days of having the medic, started the medication, it started to, to, to dissipate. And then literally I finished my 10 days of thing and it was completely gone, never be seen ever again. So, oh mate, it was a very frustrating period of time. So that, that's the hard thing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a hard thing of that mental come down, physically, mentally fatigued. Obviously then you get ill, whatever happens. I, I don't know how, why I got ill, whatever, probably because of that. And then fighting probably. back from that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but you know the time, when I think of it now, you go, wow. Shit, how did you do all that? But yeah, you're telling me that now, and I'm sitting here with my mouth open because this sounds like unbelievably difficult. And then you were still playing with this as well. That sounds yeah. Mad. I guess that's what you were saying at the top of the program, wasn't it? That you're just in the zone. You're in the playing yes. zone, and I've just got to keep going. And this is what I do, and you keep going. Yeah. And I wanted to play. I didn't yeah. want anyone else to have an opportunity to play because if yeah. I did, there's a chance they'll play well, and then all of a sudden, you know. The whole story about when a manager would come to me, it happened so many often times through my career. Oh, we've got, a, we've got a League Cup game this week. Do you want to play? Yeah. But do you not want to rest? I went, no, I want to play. And then I said to them, they'd come to me and i go, look, if you're going to ask me if I want to play or not, you'll always get the same answer. So if mm. you don't want me to play, if you want to play someone else, you have to tell me. I'll, I won't be happy, but I'll accept it because that's your decision as the manager. But don't ask me because I'll always you, say but yes. You knew, but you knew, knew you were number one, right? So yeah, it doesn't you matter. Sort of, I just wanted to play. It doesn't matter. I, yeah. No, nah, I, I just wanted to play. And I wanted to play and make sure that I played and played well and all that. And that's selfish, but that's just, I think, wow. what drives you and is it, keeps you. Is that, is that a goalkeeper thing, Thomas? Were you like that as well? Yeah, no, but I think it is a, you know, I think the position and the way you, you're trained as well, I think it, it's... You know, when you get there, it's it's so coveted. So so you you got to protect it with everything you've got. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, you you might feel you know I played three years. Uh, you know I've done well. Um, I'm the clear number one. But it only takes one absolute cracker of a game from somebody else to then sow a bit of doubt. You know, the fans jump on a bandwagon, and then suddenly. You know, people are always looking for the next new thing. So, uh, and and it tends to be, you know, definitely at the end of our careers. You know, there, there's always young young goalkeepers ready to take their chance. So, no, no you, you're never going to let anyone, uh, you know, get, get an opportunity if you can. That's for sure. 
Yeah, Mark oh, was shit. Mark was Mark was seriously <laughs> ill, deeply ill, and he's still playing. So yeah, I was. Hey, I played like, with broken fingers. I, I, yeah. I haven't played with water in my lungs, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, no. Wow. But that's the thing, right? Just, you play like uh, 2010 World Cup. I broke my thumb literally ten days before the tournament, and like I was devastated. I was like white as a ghost, thinking I'm going to miss out on this World Cup now. And I was like, no, I'm not. I went to the specialist. He went, look, yeah, you've broken it, but. You know, we put a we 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 mold this plastic thing. You, you better get through it. And I went all right, and that Shorty. was it. And Produ- producer Elliot, Elliot's just 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 messaged me, and it sounds like you played actually really well when you had water in the lung because you only conceded <laughs> four goals in five games, including matches against Chelsea and Man City. So there you wow. go. Yeah, maybe I should have played more often with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we are not recommending that anybody plays with water no. in the lungs on the option. No, no, but you know, it was fine. It was yeah. fine. We all got through it. No one got hurt. No one was hurt <laughs> in the making of this film. Anyway, let's move on to La Liga, our favourite subject. Certainly, when Phil's around, anyway. And yes. the remarkable story of Girona just keeps on going on. I mean, winning against Atletico Madrid, and it wasn't just the fact that they won because you know that they're really good at home and they're on this amazing roll. It's the way they won, Phil, right? Absolutely. It was genuinely one of the games of the season. I know it was on not the best time for Optusport viewers, but hopefully everybody managed to tune in because I've been telling you, banging on about Girona for months and months and months. But you, if you did tune in, you were rewarded with a, a tremendous game against Atletico Madrid. They were 1-0 up after two minutes and they could have already scored two goals. Uh, they came well, they, flying yeah. out. It was, 30 was, seconds. They should have yeah. been up 1-0 after 30 seconds, yeah. right? I mean, what's yeah, yeah, his yeah. name? Artem uh, Dovbik had a yeah, yeah, massive, yeah. massive yeah. chance. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. So they went three. They go 3-1 up against uh, Atletico Madrid. And then um, Atleti get themselves back into the game. Alvaro Morata scores a hat-trick and it's 3-3. And in the second half, Atletico Madrid uh, played well. They pushed uh, Girona back. Uh, I haven't actually seen them pin back like that um, in any game, I don't think, this season. But then uh, one of the understated heroes, Ivan Martin, pops up in injury time for Girona, scores an absolute toe-poke worldie. And um, they win 4-3. And they just keep winning and they keep scoring and they keep attacking and they attack and they attack and they do not stop. And they concede loads of goals. But you know what? They've scored 46 goals in 19 games. So it doesn't matter how many they concede because they will outscore every single team. And this night, um, guys, (laughs) this night, it felt like this was the night that everybody involved in the club, in the city, all of the fans, they started to believe, you know what, we can actually do this. Remember, they've beaten Barcelona away. That was a massive result for them. But this game at home to Atletico Madrid, winning it in the uh, 91st minute the way that they did, everybody stayed behind afterwards. The players were going around. It was like a lap of honour. And it just felt like this is the moment they've started to believe. We're at the midway point of the season now. They're level on points with Real Madrid, 48 points. Real Madrid only ahead of them on, on goal difference. And it's... It's not quite a two-horse race because Barcelona are seven points behind. They're just about within touching distance. But Girona are still there uh, playing exactly the same way against every team. They, they don't change their game plan. It's all out attack against everyone. They don't really have a defensive midfielder. The defensive midfielder is Aleix Garcia, who's a very attacking player. It's just all out attack, but it works. And um, they're, they're the great entertainers of, uh, of Europe, I'd say. Where do, I go, where do I start with this one? Because the game was so good. Um... Uh, let's go, Morata. Morata scored a yes. hat-trick, right? So you, when you see someone score a hat-trick, you go, how good is that, right? But if you watch the game, the guy should have scored six, at least. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it feels quite Alvaro Morata, <laughs> doesn't a, it? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the story of him all the time, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. massive chances. Not even, not even like, I'm not, I don't think I'm being harsh on this. I mean, he had enormous chances. Yeah, he did. But he took three of them. He scored a hat trick. I mean, you know, you, you can't, you can't, I, I, I don't think you could be, I don't think you could be too critical of a striker if he scores a hat trick, even if he misses other chances. He's in the position to be getting those chances, which is what you want of your striker. And he's taken three of them. So, and it was his first ever hat trick, by the way, in La Liga. So how unfortunate is that? He scores first ever hat trick and no one's talking about it because they lost 4-3. Well, I'm, I'm saying he should have scored six. He should have scored two hat-tricks in one game. That's how I'm saying it. Uh, the other player I want to mention is Savio. Um, I mean, he's 19 years old. How mm. much? I mean, I mean, he's on loan from Toi, is it? Is that Trois. right? Yeah. Toi. Um, I mean, Another there's, there's reports Man's... That's right. So there's, there's reports now Man City want to make him turn that into their player yeah. and, and yeah. bring him in potentially. I don't know if it's now or at the end of the season. But he was absolutely on fire against Atletico Madrid. He's been a big, big part player, and the reason one of the one of the other reasons why Girona has been doing so well this season. Totally, uh, and I do not think he's going to be there next season. Um, I think uh, Manchester City will uh, bring him in and, and you know realize what an incredible uh, talent they have. I mean, this is a guy that has really sort of. Um, I mean, he's only 19, but he was he was really sort of struggling. I mean, Trois spent uh, a lot of money on him, and it wasn't it wasn't working. And he was he was shipped on loan to uh, PSV Eindhoven, and he was playing in PSV Eindhoven's um, B team and sort of struggling to get into their their B team. It wasn't really working for him at all last season. And he's come to Girona, and he's one of the best players in La Liga. It just feels like it's the question of being in the right place at the right time, playing with the right manager and in the right system. And he is. Um, he is a staggeringly talented player, and in terms of uh, the way that he, the speed with which he dribbles, that is 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 incredible. I mean, you know, running without the ball is one thing, but running that fast with the ball and to be able to control and go past players is is really quite extraordinary. And he's a he's a massive talent. And like I said, don't think we're going to see him at Girona next season, but um, we'll just enjoy him um, for for the rest of this season. I think. Yeah, I think it's just a credit to to what they've built there under Michel Sanchez. I think the culture, um, you know, and and you know, I've I've read that you know that the players, everyone knows what they've what they're supposed to do, even at training. Not much is said. People just, you know, they just know their job, and and you know, it's just done. The whole club is is just gone on with, without any flair, really. You know, you can really compare it to like a German. Boring commercial, Forschung durch Technik. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, nothing. Oh, you not, hey, nothing. That's a good. That's a good commercial. That one. Hey. <laughs> but it's boring. Uh, but you know, it, <laughs> other German yeah, cars no, are available. Yeah. But but it, it just it just you know everything just all the parts just fit together. Um, and and yep. players that haven't been flashy anywhere else, you know, just goes in that system. And just elevates, um, you know, and it's it's a credit to obviously this, the, what's the city group have done and and what Sa- uh, Michel Sanchez has has been able to do. Has has um, Michel been linked? He's been linked to another job, hasn't he? Isn't it Barcelona? I think they're even possibly talking <laughs> up Michel uh, as as uh, a new manager. Well, I, I I haven't seen that, but yeah, I mean, you know, there there, there would be obvious. Um, suggestions that that kind of style uh, would fit in at uh, at Barcelona. I mean, he's part of the City group. He's a Spanish manager. And we spoke about <laughs> Ange Postecoglou maybe. Oh, here's the, the headlines. City. Let's go. Let's if, go. You're, if you're looking for someone to play that kind of football um, and someone who's improved players massively, 
um, City could uh, could could look within, look in house. I've just seen it. No, I'm wrong. It was Newcastle United. He's been mentioned, uh, reported, linked with Newcastle United. Eddie Howe obviously is under pressure, and he's been linked with potentially. Uh, Wow. being invited to talk. He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere before the end of the season. I mean, that is a 1 million percent guaranteed. He's not going anywhere. And then in the summer, who knows? He'll have plenty of suitors. He can't. He can't leave now. What a story. No. I mean, Girona has been unbelievable. Um, let's move on to Barcelona. Struggled against La Palm- Las Palmas. Um, is it, is it, does, it feel like, does it feel like it's the end of the road for Xavi? And can he become any <laughs> less popular right now? It's not the end of the road yet. It's just that they are they are struggling, and I think I've said on the podcast he's not going to be sacked before the end of the season. So hopefully they don't you know lose the next six games and, and make me look very very silly. But I genuinely think you know he'll stay until the end of the season and then they'll reassess. That said, um, the first half against Las Palmas, and I've sat through quite a lot of really bad performances from Barcelona the last year or so. That was maybe one of the worst. They didn't have a shot in the opening forty five minutes, and it's not the first time. Uh, I said this, I was presenting coverage of uh, Optus's uh, uh, coverage of, of the match. If, 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 the La, if La Liga matches lasted 45 minutes, Barcelona would be 14th. It's not the first time that they've stunk up the place in the opening 45 minutes. And they've actually picked up 20 points in the last 15 minutes of matches. They did it again uh, against Las Palmas with a, a, a late injury time uh, penalty. It's it's uh, it's not good, and there's a there's a lot of reasons why um, they're 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 not playing well defensively. They are so far away from what they were last season, and if you look at their defenders, they've got some really really good defenders there, and they're not um, they're not playing as a, as as the defensive unit they should be. They're giving up a ridiculous amount of chances. They played last night in the Copa del Rey. And they won 3-2 against a team from the fourth division. Genuine part-timers. They struggled. It's 20 games now. 20 games in a row that Barcelona haven't won by more than a one-goal margin. They're scraping through at the moment. The good news for Xavi and Barcelona fans is that they're still in there. They're still in the Copa del Rey. They're still in the Champions League. They're still just about in the La Liga title hunt. But they're clinging on by their fingertips and I'm, I'm not sure what's going to turn things around for uh, for Barcelona yeah they've got some injuries but everyone's had injuries you know I don't think that's a that's an excuse and there are you know players that are underperforming uh, I said defensively as a unit they're not working uh, well but individually up front there are big big problems with Robert Lewandowski and, and, and Jao Felix who are just not performing leads me on nicely to Robert Lewandowski, Phil, you were on the post-game show on Optus Sport where your panel had this to say about him. I have a particular point of view that Lewandowski is underperforming in attitude and touch. I don't think he's adding anywhere near what he's still capable of adding. I'd be hard-pressed to explain why. I think his performance is under par. Time is running now for Robert Lewandowski. I imagine him playing the next games in the Spanish Super Cup. But maybe the end substitution, if he's not playing well, will be early, early until one day he will sit on the bench. Yeah, that's um, Graham Hunter and Tony Padilla, two um, sort of Barcelona-based journalists who follow the team and, and watch every game and you know look at Robert Lewandowski closely. And it's difficult to know what has gone wrong with Lewandowski because I remember last season, uh, the, the start of the season, it wasn't just he was scoring goals. I was blown away by his general play. I didn't realise he was this good a footballer. I thought he's just a sort of a penalty box killer who scores loads of goals and in the right place at the right time. His link-up play was brilliant. His touches, his awareness, his intelligence, his run, everything was fantastic. And all of that is gone now. I mean, I'm not saying he won't get it back, but at the moment, he is not doing any of that. And he's 
not taking his chances as well. It's, um, it's a massive, massive drop-off. And now Victor Roque has come, the, uh, the 18-year-old from Brazil, who um, has been given a couple of chances. He played the last 25 minutes in the Cup. He played the last 12 minutes against Las Palmas. Had some really good chances in both of those games and didn't take them yet. But he's there. He's hungry. He's knocking on the door. And he's going to give Robert Lewandowski some serious competition, which he hasn't had uh, during his time at Barcelona so far. Yeah, no, I, th- I think when you just look at Lewandowski, he just looks like someone who's fallen, a, you know, a, a little bit out of love with with the place he's at. Uh, he just uh, his body language. You know, when you compare him to last season, you know, to now, there was all smiles, and now it's sort of, it's, uh, you know, it looks like a little bit like Bru- a fr- frustrated Bruno Fernandes at, at times. You know, like throwing his arms around, and you know, there was a, you know you know a few run-ins with with some of his uh, younger teammates and and yeah he just looks very frustrated and I know, to some extent like he 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 doesn't really want to be there um you know and and what the reason is i don't know phil if you you know is there is there rumors that things are are not quite right in the squad or or, or is it just a, a footballing thing i think there's definitely off the field issues uh, as well uh, i think there are um suggestions that um, come the summer he, he might he might look for pastures new uh, pastures more uh, how can I put this uh, some very very Literally lucrative correct. pastures <laughs> lucrative pastures which are oh, okay. uh, which are where uh, other 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 sort of superstar players have gone to uh, to make some money but yeah no I mean um, you're right he, he it's, his, it's everything isn't it it's not just his is his missing chances or not being in the right place to take chances it's the body language he doesn't look happy he doesn't look like someone who's where he wants to be so that's that's yeah that's worrying from a Barcelona um, perspective so not Pasha's greener but Sandia maybe anyway uh, another another team who are under a lot of pressures is uh, is Sevilla They've struggled this season. Sergio Ramos gave an interview post-match. Have you ever seen anything like it, Phil? And what was the fan saying to him? And what was he saying back to them? So if you haven't seen the clip, uh, go and check it out on uh, Optusport social media. I think we posted it on uh, Instagram and on X as well. It is Sergio Ramos giving a pitch side post-match uh, interview. It's what we call the super flash. It's as soon as you come off the pitch, you do this uh, interview. He's speaking to the reporter and then suddenly... You see him looking away behind the reporter into the crowd and he starts shouting at someone and pointing and saying, respect us, respect us. We're trying to work. Respect the badge. Hoy, you respect the badge. And I think the person who was heckling Sergio Ramos is a little bit taken aback because then you hear Sergio Ramos go, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, well, just respect us. And he says, go on, shut up like this. He is absolutely furious. And then he's all sort of smiles with the reporter and says, ah, you see, this is what we have to put up with there. And then he smiles and charming and back to Sergio Ramos, charm offensive mode. That gives you an idea of the kind of pressure that they are under in Sevilla. They'd lost and lost badly against Athletic Club at the weekend. They were beaten 2-0 and it was a really abysmal performance. They are in all sorts of problems. They're in a relegation battle. And a player as experienced as Sergio Ramos, who has given as many of these post-match um, interviews by the side of the pitch as maybe anyone in La Liga during his career to have lost his mind a bit like that. I mean, go, go and look at the clip because he is furious. He can't control himself. He is furious. That just shows you um, there is serious problems. There are serious problems at Sevilla. Well, let's move on to one of the favourite moments of the season for most football fans is transfer window time. Um, 
Spurs have gone really early in the transfer window. I mean, I think you'll be a little bit happier now, Phil. Were you or not? Like with Timo Werner signing? Um, I mean, yeah. lost Son to the Asian Cup. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm pleased from a Spurs fan perspective. I think it's a smart bit of business. I think there are a lot of Spurs fans that are getting really angry that this is just some kind of um, stopgap signing. Why didn't we spend any proper money in the summer? What is this? Why aren't we spending proper money? I think it's a smart loan. You get him in. He seems to be a player that could fit Angie's, uh, uh, Angie's uh, system. Uh, he's going to run a lot. He's going to press a lot. If he improves his finishing a little bit, he's going to be um, a really useful addition to this uh, Spurs side. So I, for one, I'm, I'm pretty happy, yeah. He's only scored two goals in 14 appearances this season for Leipzig, so he's not in a good run of form. He scored 23 in 89 uh, games for Chelsea, uh, obviously a couple of seasons ago. Six months loan with an option to buy and reportedly between 13 and 17 million pounds. Thomas, if he does well, and uh, I think if he does well, I mean, 13 to 17 mil, that's actually a bargain. And apparently he only needed about like a two-minute phone call with Ange to be convinced this was the right move for him. Yeah, and I think the optimism is that that's what Anne does best. You know, he elevates players. You know, he he fits them in the system, and I and I think, I think he's actually been, you know, I agree with Phil. It's, it's a clever bit of business. You know, if from a obviously from a money point of view, it is, and and also from a tactical point of view, because he fits in well. You know, in that system, he's not an out-out-out striker. He'll never be that goal scorer, that number nine. But he, he he can play in different positions, and he's very good in transition. And I think that's where Tottenham have been one of the best teams in the league. You know, he, he's got that pace, um, and and he's very good at finding space. So, so I think he can add a lot uh, to Tottenham. Um, and I think the reason why he fell out at Leipzig. Uh, you know, over the last, since Rosa took over, really, was the change of system. It just didn't fit him there. Um, so I think, I think actually, um, I think he'll do well. You know, how many goals will he score? I don't know. But I think he, he will add some quality to, to Tottenham. I think structure is important to him. That's what he had before at Leipzig that really suited him. And I think it spurs the structure, the way that they want to play, I actually think will suit him as well. So watch this space with yeah. Timo Werner. Um, Phil, one of the rumours I've picked up on was Andreas Christensen, supposedly targeted by Man United and Newcastle. Can you see this being true? Obviously, Barcelona ongoing financial issues. Christensen's kind of fallen out of favour there? Uh, he has a little bit um, because uh, Inigo Martinez has come in and done really well for Barcelona. Ronald Araujo is there. They've got Jules Koundé as well. So it's a part of the pitch where they are pretty well stacked. And in terms of Andreas Christensen, he is for sale. Everyone is for sale at Barcelona and particularly players that came in um, uh, for uh, little to no money. Uh, for them to be able to make a, a massive profit on someone like Andreas Christensen would be very, very tempting. So he is, he is definitely for sale. Um, it's whether or not um, these, these clubs want to uh, go for him remains to be seen. But he is someone who has, I think is overachieved. He's um, done much better than perhaps people thought that uh, he would. He was brought in as a sort of, well, we'll see, maybe a squad player, see if he can help out. And he was pretty much first choice last season in an extraordinary Barcelona defence. So um, he's a really uh, impressive uh, player for a Barcelona, particularly last season. And he would be a good signing, I think, you know, for the right fee. Um, he'd, be a, he'd be a decent signing. And the other one that caught my eye and caught me off was apparently or supposedly Eric Dyer has agreed in principle to join Bayern Munich. Thomas, can you see that being... I mean, we saw Andrew's post-match interview. He was like, he's injured. I don't know anything else. Um, can you see this even being true? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, the last things I, I read that, uh, you know, they had agreed and 
the terms um and and it seemed like a done deal uh i don't know if uh it is but uh i, I think he again suits you know he's very versatile he can play at the back he can play in midfield um so i, I think for bayern it, it, you know it's a if they can get him at the right price you know it's it's a good bit of business and then tottenham potentially get rid of a player that might not fit what Ange wants to do and and they open up you know, maybe a bit of cash and and uh, and a squad position there. So I think it's probably a win-win for for both sides. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I, I think one transfer thing I want to see, and, and we know it's probably going to happen, but I, I want to see Mbappe finally go to Real Madrid. Let, let's get it done in this transfer window and and to get it over with. Ah, uh, you mentioned uh, so the M word. You mentioned the M word. Uh, yes, like, let's yeah. get it done because you know we need him at a at a proper <laughs> pro, a pro, a proper league level, not not playing in France. So uh, so let, let's hope that comes out as a bombshell in the next couple of weeks. Yes, and let's hope we don't have <laughs> several more months slash years of this interminable transfer that's been going on for years and years and years, which I hear about every single day uh, in Spain. Yeah, I mean, you know, it would be an amazing signing. Let's see if it happens. Mark, a couple of signings that I want to get your thoughts on. What about Charlie Grant signing for Spurs and Katrina Gori signing for uh, West Ham, eh? Yeah, look, I think Charlie Grant is a great signing for her. Uh, she'd been linked quite heavily even during the Women's World Cup with moving to the WSL. So finally to see her make that move, I think is really good. Spurs have been really impressive this season. The way they've played in the WSL, played some really, really good football and they've pushed. They've pushed Chelsea in particular. They probably shouldn't have lost that game against Chelsea. So I'm excited to see. I think she's a really good player and a really good talent. Um, and Katrina Gorey, Look, she's a really good player. She's great on the ball. West Ham are desperate for strengthening. And I believe Mackenzie Arnold had a lot of uh, input in her signing for the club, which I think is a real coup for West Ham because I think she's a, she's a really top, top class player. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks, Phil. Cheers, Watsi. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Watsi. Great to be back on the pod. Great having you. And remember, you can watch every game of the Premier League, La Liga and the Women's Super League live and exclusive on Optus Sport.